Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. What's going on guys? Welcome to episode 40 of Into the Van. I can't believe we've made it to 40 episodes. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a weird one this month. It's been super fucking busy and it's been an interesting one because I've kind of seen the actual real world value of Rogue Country and Into the Van and stuff lately, which has been a trip because we set this up predominantly during lockdown. So we've kind of been, you know, for this podcast, I've been talking into the void for Rogue Country yeah, we've had a bit of reaction online, people have been enjoying the radio shows, but we haven't, you know, known if that's actually mattered in the real world, and I was lucky enough to play the Hen House Presents, where I recorded this episode with Brandon, and the praise and kind of the nice words for Rogue Country and Into the Van really, you know, it took me back, man, and I was happy to message Josh and Alex and say, you know, people actually give a shit about what we do, and it's an interesting fucking thing, because it's not guaranteed, man, it's not guaranteed that people give a shit about what you do, and it's amazing to actually see something we've tried to put into the world make a positive change, which is what we wanted in the first place, but again, you're screaming into the void until you actually see the real world implications and ramifications of what you do, and it's been a real trip to see Rogue Country do well and have, like, a respect to it, which is what we want. We want to be able to put some artists that we love and respect onto a platform with artists we respect who we don't really know and get the conversation moving about how great UK artists and UK country and roots is. And I think we're starting to shift the needle and that is down to all the folks listening and supporting. So thank you so much. Um, Today, this episode, I'm made up. This was the first real world episode since March 13th of last year when I talked to Sean James. That was weirdly the first episode with the last live podcast and then everything else has been done through Zoom up until I got to speak to Brandon Ridley. I was made up to talk to Brandon, but before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by my debut album, The Next Life. I'm currently on a run of shows with Cam Cole, the one-man band sensation, and it's been incredible to see the reaction to my songs, and you know, this is a completely new audience for me. I didn't really expect to get this support and get to be in front of a new audience, and it's been an absolute amazing honor to, you know, it grew from a Liverpool date to then we did Birmingham, then Glasgow is sold out on Friday. We're doing uh, Edinburgh. When this podcast drops on Tuesday, we'll be in Edinburgh. And yeah, it's been amazing. And also, it's been humbling because I've sold more of my record on this tour than I have in the past year, which just shows how important live music and reaching new people is. So if you do enjoy this podcast, if you do enjoy my music, please recommend it to a friend. I'm going to drop a little teaser for you now. I'm not ashamed of where I'm from But I ain't exactly proud That your mother on the corner I think used to hang around But as I've gotten older And yeah, man, if you aren't there, catch me on the road. I'm in Edinburgh on Tuesday tonight with Cam Cole at Sneaky Pete's. I'm in London for a sold-out show with Ten Sheds and Boss Kane this coming Friday. Then I am playing with Sirius Sam Barrett in the Burner Band in Birkenhead, my hometown, on Sunday the 26th of September. And then I'm not doing any gigs until the 16th of October at the Desperado Festival in Crumlin in Wales because I'm getting married on the 2nd of October and I'm taking some fucking time off because goddamn I need it. It's been a blur since June and I've been really fortunate that it has been but you know now I need a break. Now I need some rest and I need to spend some time with my wife which I'm fucking really excited to be able to say. 
But before that, we've got episode 40 of Into the Van with Brandon. Really, when I first met Brandon, we both played a show with the Goat Roper Rodeo Band in Liverpool. And I, let me just check my posters behind me. Yeah, so that was the 22nd of March, 2018. Um, I think there wasn't a full date on that, but I think it was the 2018 uh, date. Uh, yeah, I met Brandon there. He was a great guy. Obviously, when you're kind of supporting people, it's busy. You don't really get to see as much of people as you want. You get to see, obviously, them play, but you know you don't really get to talk to them much after the show. Everyone has to shoot off. But I've always respected Brandon's work. This new EP, Senorita and Sangria, is absolutely phenomenal. I think it takes his sound to a whole new level. And it gives him a real confidence, I think, that I just enjoyed listening to. And I'm so happy that I got to not only see him at Henhouse Presents, at Henhouse or a promotion group in Manchester. I had Tanya on one of the first episodes, maybe even in the episode fives, you know, uh, we talked about creating a scene in Manchester. And what Henhouse have done, even just through online stuff with the live streams last year were phenomenal. And it's created a real community. And this Henhouse Presents gig, I got to see all my friends. I got to see Brandon. I got to see Chris Dover. I got to see Fargo Railroad. I finally got to see Banjo Jen, who I really want on this podcast at some point. But yeah, I finally got to sit down with someone in the actual van and record a podcast. We also recorded a video that's over on the Rogue Country channel. But yeah, man, without further ado, this is episode 40 of Into the Van with Mike West and Brandon Ridley. Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Cool. So we are recording. And you were saying, obviously, this is, I'm super high, man. This is the first, like, person-to-person into the van I've done since March 13th of 2020. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for doing it. Obviously, we've done the Hen House Presents today. How did you, like, prepare anything for the stage? Like, how, when you get a show, do you do anything different, or do you prepare yourself in any way for a live gig? Um, It's been a bit of a weird one, because there hasn't really been gigs for so long. So I played here maybe three four weeks ago mm. with the goat roper rodeo band and it was interesting because my last sort of live set was sort of obsolete then and i had a new new ep out and um i was really looking forward to playing some songs from that so i just really focused on them and just sort of hoped that i remembered the old ones as yeah. well as i did um i think i got away with it and um then for this one it's just been a case of um putting in an hour a day to sort of 10 days up to hmm. um practice and then hoping for the best but uh i feel like i did okay yeah man, and, did great. Um, i really enjoyed it and it's been lovely to share a stage with some great folks hmm. uh, that i haven't managed to share a stage with before and a few that i have um the hen house guys are just amazing at bookings hmm. and they're just really lovely people that really push artists like myself like over the last year between them and you guys at road country i don't think i'd be doing what i'm doing now because you guys have really pushed my name and made me feel really accepted into the scene which has been really humbling to Hmm. be a part of well that's that's amazing man because like hen house with tanya and dawn it's like it's a completely selfless thing. They're just fans of it. Because I first met them, I think, the same day I met you. And I think that might have been the first time they met you as well at the Go Roper gig in Liverpool. Yeah, at 81 Renshaw. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first time I met them. And then, funnily enough, I went to see Willie Watson, the king of folk music. Mm. And I saw across the room, I was like, I sure I recognise them too. And on the way out, they handed me a flyer to a gig I was already playing for them. <laughs> they just didn't realise I was playing yet. And uh, it was a really nice little interaction. I was like, oh, no way, I'm, I think I'm, I'm there. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm on, on the road with the goats for that run of dates. And uh, they were kind enough to let me use their stage. And mm. um, they've just been an absolute driving force and constant positivity, which is exactly what this sort of Americana country sort of vibe communities have is very positive yeah and it's hard to keep positive as well i know for the road country stuff when we first set up it was kind of in spite and in contradiction to what was already set up 
and it was there was a lot of things that were just we didn't like about what was happening because like i said on stage before this scene still in its infancy really it's i considered like the country scene in the uk the modern one it's only eight or so years old well yeah like you've got bands that are playing this sort of bubblegum country that radio 2 will play yeah and then for folks like me and yourself and stuff you you can't get any sort of promotion without no. paying for it and then for like you guys at rogue and then hen house and people like amelia and john w doyle and the fargo boys they've sort of really brought this sort of i'll share your music and i don't even ask them yeah and it's it's really sweet and um it it is just a really humbling experience to to meet people like that enjoy their music mm. and feel like they enjoy yours because i spent a long time sort of i grew up playing folk clubs and they're another driving force of positivity um but it's it's not a world that really communicates with each other very no. well and then i sort of hit the pub scene a bit and had a massive culture shock because i was used to paying to people that would just sit there quietly and listen <laughs> and then i got to the pubs and realized there is middle-aged women that are on a hindu that will scream ed sheeran <laughs> at you really loudly as you're trying to play a jason isbell song about cancer yeah <laughs> um so it was a massive culture shock and then uh i became friends with a band called the gut roper rodeo band they were kind enough to take me on tour and record some music for me and then from that point onwards I was able to play shows that I enjoyed that was outside of the folk club scene. Yeah. And somewhere that I felt at home. Yeah. Which was incredible. That's an important thing, man. Like, I straight up just refuse to do pub gigs now because they are just... I, I, I sound dead, like, pretentious when I do it, but it is people just wanting covers. And they just want to get is. this. They want a good night out, and that's not what this thing is. And then I've got friends back home that are like, oh, why don't you come and play this bar? And, you know, they with all good intentions to like tag me in things of like local yeah. <laughs> pubs and things wanting musicians and then they look at me really strange when I'm going I don't want that yeah. and I'm like but it's gigs and it's money and I'm like yeah it's a gig and it's money but it's soul destroying <laughs> it's fucking so soul destroying man and it's hard because like it is that thing with an acoustic where they just think you're a singer song right you can play a pub other people with acoustics play a pub why don't you do it? And I was trying to get this through to people. And my kind of analogy now is I'm a genre-specific artist like yourself. You wouldn't ask a black metal band to play a pub. No. They're, a, they're a band with guitars. There are electric like rock bands that play pubs and they do the Kings of Leon songs and shit like that. But you wouldn't ask a black metal band to. I'm a country artist. I'm not going to play somewhere. I know they're just going to be requesting that cheering noises. Yeah, I always try and justify it to them as well. I'm like, I'm not in music for money. Mm. Although it's nice to make money from it and eventually i'd like to become completely sort of dependent yeah. on music as my main income but there's a difference between a gig and a gig for your career yeah and people don't respect that you've got to pay your dues you've got to do gigs to five people ten people then 20 people mm. support slot after support slot after support slot to build yourself up to the point where you can sell a room of 20 people mm. on your own and people don't see that as a success where it's a massive success and then you know you, you get to that point and you play some gigs and someone else and sort of books you yeah and then you want to grow a fan base organically because if you do it through talent shows and things like that so many people are like oh you've got a good voice you should go on the voice or the x factor <laughs> yeah. like no please yeah. stop saying this to me because although it would be nice to all of a sudden be earning massive amounts of money from my music i want to be in control of it i yeah. want to write my own songs i want to play the gigs i want to play and i want to be here for a long time i don't want to be a flash in the pan yeah. that makes someone else a lot of money to then be thrown aside i want to enjoy myself enjoy the ride and meet the folks along the way and then when you do meet the folks along the way, you stick together, you support each other. Like, this community really kicks in. Mm. And that doesn't go away. Where if you're a flash in the pan, yeah. it's, oh, remember him. Yeah. Oof. 
But I think that's like it's a really important point that loads of people forget with music and I think one of the things you touched on was like I paying you dues is a hundred percent something you need to do and something you should do. But a lot of people think just you have to bend through shit gig after shit gig after shit gig, which is all pubs are. If yeah. you're trying to if you're trying to like make a name for yourself in actual a genre or as an actual artist that's not just a cover band and cover bands make good money and they do well yeah but it's not the type of thing we want to do and the thing is you pay a hundred pub shows and you play a couple of your own songs in it you might gain one fan but you do one badly sold gig to 10 people and you can make five loyal fans yeah so i'd much prefer to do say 20 gigs a year and make five fans at each one of them gigs than play 200 and make two fans yeah 100 percent, man that's such like the best way to do it but let's go way back because obviously i know you from like supporting the go ropes and hanging out with them what's kind of your origin story man when did you first pick up a guitar so i started playing guitar when i was really young um i must have been five or six and my brother had guitar lessons and i was incredibly jealous he's a few years older than me mm. And my mum said to his guitar teacher, do you think he's old enough? And he said, well, can you get his hands around a guitar neck? <laughs> and I could just about do it. <laughs> so I had a handful of guitar lessons, and then sadly my dad lost his job, so I stopped having guitar lessons. But I had a handful of books, mm. and I'd fallen in love with it, even at such a young age. I was like, this is what I want to do. So I sort of self-taught myself from there. And then growing up then to maybe 13 14 i started playing in bands i played bass because no one wanted to be a bass player yeah everyone always needs a bass player and there's always a million guitarists and so, one guitarist gets picked to be the bassist i was in several bands that played loads of snow patrol <laughs> <laughs> and uh my family has its own business and they were kind enough to let us use their industrial unit on the weekends to practice mm. in so we had this little safe space where we could knock the hell out of the drums and sing some songs and just have fun and to be honest, i don't think we ever gigged i think we did a lot of practicing and never actually gigged <laughs> um well not to my memory anyway and then i sort of always had acoustic guitars knocking about then and uh used to just sort of fiddle sort of working out songs that i loved uh, at the time i was really into things like green day and mm. blink 182 things like that and i didn't really know what country or folk was properly although i had heard things like bob dylan that i hadn't yeah. made a connection with it yet and then i went to my gcse science exam and a girl said to me do you want to come and see green day tonight and i was like i can go and see green day tonight <laughs> and my mind was blown so i rang my mum and i was like mum i'm gonna go see green day tonight and she was like what, you, what you're on your way to a science exam what what and I was like, Mum, Hannah's got a spare ticket. Her cousin's dropped out. So mum, after a little bit of convincing, my mum was like, fine, you can go. So I came straight out of the science exam. I can't remember if I did well in it or not. <laughs> Probably not because I was just like shaking with excitement. And uh, we got the coach from a town called Abigaili, which is where I went to school, to Manchester. And the opening artist was Frank Turner. Oh, yeah? And then it was Joe and Jet and the Blackhearts. Oh, no way. So it was a great lineup. <laughs> Fuck. So I saw Frank Turner and I was like, whoa, this is... It sort of knocked me sideways because it was like... It had that sort of punky element mm. that I was into at the time. But it had this whole new thing attached to it. And uh, so I went home and I went on iTunes, downloaded Love Iron Song. And then I listened to that on repeat and on repeat and on repeat till my family hated me <laughs> and then from that i went to start seeing frank turner live loads and then met people like tim barry um who was originally in the band called avail it's like a hardcore punk band over in virginia and then it sort of snowballed from there and then there's a weird sort of turn of events uh, I built a few minis with my family, hmm. like classic minis. And me and my brother were on the way home from school one day in the mini, parked at the little co-op shop down the end of our road. 
to buy some sweets or something and this little old boy was stood outside looking at the car and we come out and we're like you okay and he was like is this your car and like my thought was oh my god he's like reversed into it or something mm. and he was like oh i used to do a lot of work with minis when i was younger and i've got loads of books about how to modify and maintain them and stuff and, like you can have them if you want them because they're no good to me anymore so we're like yeah well, we only live around the corner told him where we lived and then the next day the doorbell rang my dad answered the door there's this little old boy there and went are your kids in <laughs> my dad was like who are you <laughs> <laughs> and he gave us these books about minis and um i had an acoustic guitar in the in the hall and he was like oh who plays guitar and i was like oh me and he was like oh that's an interesting guitar it was a i think it was a yamaha but uh, a few years before that i'd been to see nils lofgren hmm um and managed to get him to sign it uh which was amazing because like growing up my mum and dad listened to loads of bruce springsteen mm. like my first concert was a bruce springsteen concert so that was a great experience in itself so just talking to him about music and he said well you should come to real folk club well, i was living in real at the time and i was like what's a folk club because i just had no idea so he said, oh, it's in the, the bar at the football ground on a Friday night, come down. So I went down with some friends and was sort of baffled to why sort of 50 to 80 old blo blokes <laughs> just turned up every Friday night. And you just sang three songs and everyone listened. And it was the first time I'd been in a crowd where when someone started playing, the room went silent. Mm. And that would that like hit me in the chest. It was like whoa. And I I'd, I'd never sung at this point. I was quite a shy child. So I started just attending to listen because I really enjoyed it, and it was mm. interesting hearing story songs that weren't written by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so I I sort of made friends with a, a few guys, a bloke called Kevin and Terry and Richard, and they kept saying oh you, you should play you should play so eventually i came along and i just played a couple of instrumental tunes i think from listening to them and a few other things i'd got into ben howard mm. so I, I i started getting into using really weird tunings and trying to play these tunes but they were feasible without singing because they were interesting yeah. guitar lines so i'd do like two or three of them and then there's this little scouse man there called terry who god bless him he's an absolute gem of a human he would every week would he would introduce me a lot of the time on stage and he'd go i'm not sure if he's going to sing this week <laughs> <laughs> and eventually i'd sort of gone do you know what i i should do it and i'd been home and i'd learned johnny cash's version of bruce springsteen's song further on up the road yeah so I sort of fumbled my way through that, pretty much talking rather than singing, <coughs> in a really low register because I was dead shy and yeah. conscious of my voice. And the room, like, really, really supported me when I finished it. They went sort of nuts. And I was like, whoa. And that, them being that humbling, although looking back, it probably sounded horrendous, <laughs> that support from them made me want to do it more mm. how it, old were you when you did so that? i must have been about 16 mm. how old are you now 26, 26 so like 10 years yeah. ago so i just started playing more and more folk clubs and then through the folk clubs i met the goat roper rodeo band through their dad because mm. uh, his wife was selling vintage western wear and i really wanted some cowboy boots <laughs> so i bought some cowboy boots off emma and i went round to their place to pick him up and jim from the goat ropers come in and he was like oh hey bam and uh he was like oh do you want to come through to they live in a caravan in the back garden so they sort of invite me around that to the caravan for a cup of tea so i went and had a cup of tea and a bit of a jam with them and then sort of snowboard from there to they were like well you need to you're writing songs you need to record some mm. and i was like but i can't afford to go to a studio things like that and i'll like, oh, record in the caravan we'll record you so they made an ep with me called writing letters to himself um that must have been like 2017 2016 something like mm. that 
the five or six songs um, they played on it with me uh, I couldn't separate singing from playing guitar at yeah. the time so the timing on it's awful <laughs> and I was sort of learning still and then I sort of played a few gigs with them and sort of stayed to the folk club scene and then from that sort of I made a record with them which consisted half of the original EP and half new songs mm. but no one had really bought the EP so I didn't feel bad about it <laughs> <laughs> um, so listening to it you can tell that some of it's slightly newer recordings than the others but it was the first thing I was really proud of making yeah. and then they were kind enough to take me out on the road where I met like people like the Fargo Railco and you mm. Tanya and Dawn from Hen House and that sort of brought us up to date pretty much because just as the wheels really started turning the pandemic happened yeah, yeah that good old pandemic that ruined everything but what was the first song that you remember writing that ended up on the EP or the album what was like the first like time you started actually focusing on your songwriting so I started focusing on my songwriting must have been 18 mm. maybe a bit younger um I wrote a song called oh god what's it called Forgotten Words mm. um aptly named because I forget keep <laughs> forgetting the words that was literally how I come up with the name of the song because it doesn't say that in it anywhere but it was the first thing that I'd written that I connected with because mm. I'd, I'd been writing sort of little bits of songs here and there and I could hear in them that I was trying to be someone else mm. so then I wrote this and it, it was from personal experiences of witnessing relationships around me where people are seeing that the grass is always greener on the other side so I wrote that song and it was the first time I wrote a song and then sort of played it to myself and felt emotional about it mm. and that really sort of struck something in me it was like okay this is what I do now so I, I kept trying to write songs not necessarily always emotional songs mm. but just things that resonated with me rather than because I think someone will like it yeah I think that's always the key man because it's you start when you first start writing songs or at least I did it was you obviously have all these inspirations that you draw them from and you're like well I'm just going to try and write a song that like they would sing and it's like what what do people like because you obviously want to be liked when you first start out and you'd like to be like no but it's not that big a deal if you want but it's it is that thing where you're just trying to write not necessarily like a generic one but you're just trying to get something out that it's, it's like force a round like peg into a square hole yeah exactly so then coming forwards to like the release of Mighty Fine Broken Free mm. is I'd started I'd been through a phase where I worked a hell of a lot um, and I'd been in a relationship that was really bad for me and with that relationship we had started a business together but I was also working at my family's business mm. I was working at Sainsbury's and I was teaching guitar and bass at my local high school. So I was working too much. Fuck, yeah, like, that's so many jobs. Yeah, so, and I sort of burnt out, and I was quite ill as a result of just burning out. Mm. And then I sort of realised I'd much rather live a life where I'm poor and happy and free yeah. than have a bit of money in the bank. So that's sort of where that title came from. And... I sort of wrote a song about it because I was really angry about the way Sainsbury's was running things. So <laughs> I worked in Sainsbury's for six years, man. I fucking yeah, hated it. So I've only just finished in yeah. July. I did nine years. Fuck. And it was soul destroying. Yeah, man. Um, but I've met some incredible people there and I'll be friends with them for life, a lot of them. So there is good things about it. But I've wrote a song. I'm struggling to remember the title for it now off the top of my head. But it was basically... a. I don't want to work for the man. Yeah. And uh, I'm gladly self-employed now. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I'll ever be able to get a job again because I haven't got that sort of driving me to do what someone tells me anymore. Mm. 
Yeah, it's grandma, and it's interesting because Sainsbury's inspired Mighty, uh, Mighty Fine Broken Free, and that was when I wrote work on was during oh, Sainsbury's right. because <laughs> I fucking hated this phrase I always got told, which was "think of the money." Yeah, which is the most fucking soul destroying dumb answer. When someone's saying I hate my fucking job and I hate my life, you're like, "But it's money, isn't it?" And it's like, no, this has to be fucking more to it than that. Yeah, like as long as I've got clothes on my back, food in my mouth got my dog at home then i'm happy yeah <laughs> so it's always bonus when you know you can come to places like the veterans garage here in manchester and play a show and get some cash for it mm. and it's really gratifying to just earn money from art yeah um but it's not the be all and end all no. it's like today it's a charity event so we're not sort of taking money for our work and just hoping people buy merch um if anyone wants to buy any merch Brandon Ridley at bandcamp.co.uk or yep. .com. I'll be putting never, the links into this as well. never remember which way around that is. <laughs> um, I've got some new t-shirts that will be going on shortly. I'm just not great yeah. and haven't done that yet. Mm. <laughs> I've bought one and I think Josh, I was messaging him today. And yeah, he said Josh bought, bought one. Well. I posted that off and hopefully that will have got to him today. Yeah. And um, another guy got in touch with me from Instagram cold hands gang shout out cold hands gang he bought a shirt and uh he's living down south in buckinghamshire mm. and he's moving back up north and we were talking about sort of doing shows together up north and uh, i told him to get in touch with tanya and dawn how oh, awesome um but again that's just evidence of the community like i'd never met this guy not entirely sure how he found my music yet and <laughs> should probably ask him but I don't think he's really heard much of my music, but he's taken that time out to message me, buy a t-shirt, support me, and in turn, hopefully, when he's got some music out, I can do the same. Yeah. Um, it's just a great little community. Yeah, and that's, I think the North is kind of starting this thing, because there is obviously, like, some scenes already happening that we're kind of, like, the anti version of, but it is, like, weird how just things connect. Like, obviously, this is the first face-to-face podcast i've done in fucking ages and i'm hyped because everything else has been done through zoom and everyone else i've met is through the internet and when i first started this podcast i had a rule that was i'm not gonna do an online podcast with someone i've not met in person first yeah and then the pandemic hit and that you rule went out the window straight away. away from you so i managed i was lucky enough to get some people in it but it is this weird little community that like and it's hard man because sometimes you know someone's just taking fucking advantage of you yeah. And they're the ones that piss me off like loads. Like you'll get a message to pre order their iTunes thing, but they never speak to you any other time. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard with the community sometimes because you know you'll get you'll know yourself, you'll get a friend request with someone with an acoustic guitar as a profile pick. And part of me goes, What the fuck do you want now? Yeah, totally you do and then the amount of DMs I get on Instagram that's like, Hey man, we do similar music, can you share this? And I'm like If you shared mine? Yeah. I'm quite happy to share someone's music, but and I don't expect them to share mine. Mm. But you know, when you you get that message and you can feel that it's one-sided within yeah. an instant. Um, a great example of the opposite of that is I sold a guitar to a guy called Ashley Sherlock. Oh yeah. Um, do you know Ashley? Yeah, we did a gig in Heswell a few years ago. Yeah, so like he's sort of doing mostly as a blues trio rather than a solo artist yeah. these days. But he bought a guitar of me and we just got chatting and then he said oh, i've released some music check it out and i'll check some of yours out and then to this day like every once in a while we write a new I write a new song and i want an opinion on it off someone and i'll just shoot it over to ash yeah and then he's always dead supportive of, and he'll he's one of them people that knows how to criticize you without crushing you yeah which is really nice um because you do need that person to say look if you swap this bit around it will fit better mm. and you know most of the time people like that are right but he's been one of them people that's really supported me and shared some of my stuff i think my latest dp senoritas and sangria came out the same day as his latest dp mm. and uh it was quite nice that sort of in the main push of me trying to push my music i was able to go yeah. check out my friend ashley's and he did the same for me and Were there um, any um, tracks on Senoritas and Sangrias that you sent over to him to have a look at or get feedback from? Yeah, a song called Walking Away. 
um, which I wrote sort of smack bang in the middle of the pandemic, and um, I was sort of witnessing someone I know go through a breakup, and I could tell that they were sort of they knew it was the right thing, but mm. it felt like the wrong thing. Yeah. So I wrote this song, and I really wanted to send it to them, but couldn't because I didn't want to be too personal. Yeah. So I sent it to Ashley, and then within five minutes, he was on FaceTime, <laughs> and he was like, dude, I love it, but in the chorus, if you just bring your voice up, I'm walking away. Um, so from walking away to walking away, yeah. sort of thing. Um, and then I was like, that's exactly what I, need. I just needed someone to tell me how to just make that little bit catchy. Yeah, just to push just, it a bit more. You know, grab that hook on. Um, so that was really lovely. And then he was hoping to be here tonight, but um, I think work called him in late. Yeah. Yeah. Just favor and flick that light above your head, like directly above your head. And then just slide her along. Ooh, is that okay? Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I couldn't really see her. And it's, again, this is the first uh, time. I'm doing this face to face, so it was just slow. Slowly, the sun was setting, and I was just like, I can't see shit here. It's a bizarrely beautiful setting here, though. Yeah, it's we're right on the edge of Manchester, on an airfield. Yeah, and there's always when you come here, there's some interesting cars. If anyone's interested in cars, <laughs> in the car park, and some rich blokes taking their planes for a flight. Yeah, and then you go into the veterans' garage, and it gets all country. It's great. <laughs> yeah, but with Senoritas and Sangrias, when did you st- like first start formulating them songs or when did you start writing for this EP? So as soon as I released Mighty Fine Broken Free, mm. I went on tour, so this would have been March 18 or 19, 19 I think, March mm. 19, so I released it um, February 19. So in the March I went on tour with the Goat Ropers and the day before the tour I wrote Senoritas and Sangria. And for the first two nights, I bottled playing it. And then in Edinburgh, I finished my set. And I must have been quite nervous because I was in Edinburgh and I'd never been there. And the room was packed. We didn't expect it to be mm. a, a well-selling gig because it was the only gig on the tour where we didn't have like a promoter. It was like yeah. a self-booking thing. And the room filled up really quick. So I got to the end of the set and I looked at my watch and I was like, oh, I've got five minutes left. What can I do? So I went, bugger it, I'll play a new song. And it went down really well. Um, I mean, the song's gone through some changes since then. But it felt fresh because Mighty Fine Broken Free was a bit of a collection of songs that I'd written over probably about seven years. Mm. So a lot of it didn't feel fresh to me anymore. I'd gigged a lot of it for a long time, even before it was released. So that sort of gave me that little bit of uh, fuel to the fire, Mm. if you would. And then from there, I went to a festival in the summer that year, Black Deer Festival. Mm. Great festival. Um, Sadly got cancelled again this year. Um, But hopefully I'll get back there next year haven't played it yet but been down as a a punter a few times and it's just a really nice festival and on the way home from that we had a couple of breakdowns got a bit of oil on my hat (laughs) and then i got back to my dad's house and he had a i think it's a guild guitar in the kitchen and i just sat down and hey hey miss martha came out which was very different for me in the way I wrote it mm. usually I always tend to sort of you know find some chords and then just sort of mumble my way through something right now mumble my way yeah. through and sort of build on it gradually like that but that one it was I think the first song I ever wrote that I just sat down and it just sort of went Bleh! really and just sort of came out um and that was quite a jarring experience for me, but I think I'd, I'd had a lot of fun that weekend and met a lot of different people from all over the mm. country and the world um, and drank far too much whiskey. <laughs> and I think it was sort of a combination of some bizarre dreams I'd had whilst I was away and just that sort of 
constant in a battle of feeling like you're stood in one place and you want to be somewhere else mm. um so it felt very personal but like it wasn't about me at the same time mm. and then the other songs come along sort of piece by piece after that over the next sort of year i think i finished writing what i intended to be the ep sort of early sort of round about the time the pandemic kicked in um it's like there's a song on there johnny which is a song i d- doubt i'll play live cause oh really it, it's oh I will play it live in settings like folk clubs and things mm. like that, but generic sort of tour shows, I don't think I will because it's a slightly long song and it's a slow song. And I always worry about sort of losing a captive audience. Mm. How long is it? It's probably about four and a half, five minutes. Mm. Um, so it's not terribly That's long. It's not super long. It's not like prog. I thought um, you were like being like, oh yeah, it's like nine minutes long. Like no, I have to change but, guitars halfway through. But there's there's no chorus. It's just it's a, it's a ballad, if you would. And that song come about because I played a show with the Goat Ropers. I I sort of stepped outside before my set, and there was just a homeless man in the alley. And I, I saw he sort of startled me. I was like, oh, "Are you okay?" And then sort of got speaking to him, and he was telling me about how he ended up homeless, and he'd sort of worked really hard and was in a bad relationship, and then one day something just switched in him and he ran away mm. and it didn't work out sadly but just I found myself thinking about him quite a lot after that and I ended up writing Johnny um, I never got his name but I thought Johnny fit Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to sort of imagine a happy ending for him where so the song goes that like he's working really hard in a steel factory which is a very northern thing isn't it <laughs> and uh, you know his wife doesn't love him they've got a baby on the way and then he runs away and then sort of talk about him being in sort of the city and being sort of bewildered by it and then I like to think that he plucked up the courage to find a way back home and things worked out so I sort of wrote that and it. I think it's one of the songs I'm most proud of writing because although it's not strictly true it's partially yeah, true yeah it's got an element to it it's got that foundation that I think great songs have yeah so like as I, as I said I grew up listening to loads of Bruce Springsteen so like one of my ultimate goals in songwriting is to write relatable songs yeah and I think someone I work near he's got a factory a few doors down from where I work said to me once I love that song The River by Bruce Springsteen because I feel like it's about my life if my life was different (laughs) that's such an interesting thing to say because it's it's hard with songs like I think John Prine does it really well where you're like oh this relates to me but in in no way shape or form because like all everything's different yeah it's like that song Hello in there by John Prine it's just about growing old and looking back at your old friends and i listen to that and although i'm 26 it makes me think about friends i had in school that i've got sort of no no yeah. idea what they do now and things like that and you do sort of take your own personal experience from someone else's vastly different experience yeah, yeah. and in one of the songs on your new ep you mentioned john prine isn't it or you yeah. reference one at like that's TV, in isn't it? walking away um, I'm a prote- uh, perpetually single man <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've always loved John Prine and then when you're sort of out there and you hear a girl mention John Prine it sort of makes your ears perk and you're like who are you? <laughs> um, so that was sort of playing on my mind because I was at a festival and I heard like a girl talking about John Prine and I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah that song's sort of about being perpetually single to a certain extent mm. um, that's why I sort of fantasize about like someone sort of flirting with me by talking about John Prine <laughs> <laughs> it's very niche but I 100% get it I just got him um... 
blow, blow your TV, TV tattooed on me because I absolutely adore that song. And there's, it's criminal how many people outside of like the songwriting world know who he is. Well, that's it. Well, I first heard that song, Spanish Pipe Dream, at Real Folk Club. The the old boy I was on about earlier, Terry, he played it one of the first times I went there. And I was just like blown away by that song. I think the same night, a guy called Kevin played Sam Stone. And that was the first time I had heard a song like Sam Stone, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. That is insane. Because, you know, when you hear a song and you see it as a movie in your head, yeah. it was like that. And I don't think, apart from listening to Bruce Springsteen, but that's Bruce Springsteen, I'd never heard someone play something live and was completely transported to another mm. place. Yeah, it's hard, man. And it's, did you ever get to see Prime live? I haven't. Haven't no, no me neither, man. And it sucked because he was meant to do Manchester when COVID hit. Yeah, and it got cancelled. And I was like, "Sound, I'll get tickets when it yeah, comes it's rescheduled." Back. I was lucky to see Chris Christopherson uh, at Black Deer Festival actually. Uh, although it did sort of break my heart because I felt like oh. it was just muscle memory for him. I don't think he really knew where he was, and no. I just felt like management or family or something was just going we need to get the pennies in whilst yeah. we can i saw him twice there was once in 2012 when he was conscious he knew what he was doing and his daughter came out and sang some songs with him and i got to meet him that night amazing um but i bought the criminal thing isn't i hate admitting it i didn't know who he was at the time i knew whistler from blades playing the liverpool philharmonic so I was like, I'm going to go down and watch this because I obviously love the Blade films. So I was like, fuck yeah. I'd listen to, I think I'd heard like the obvious ones like me and Bobby McGee. Yeah. I was like, all right, I'll go down. And I'd got a ticket that was like the top tier. But I was right on like the top, like the seating of it. And it was like the floor. And it was like the seat was on the floor. So you could yeah. like, and he literally, he walked off stage and I hopped up and like ran downstairs, ran around the back where the tour bus was. And as I got to the tour bus, the side of the stage opened and he came out and he still had his guitar on and his team were like leading him out. Yeah. And there was one guy who stopped him and was like, can I get a photo? And managed to get a photo. And then I'd bought his uh, Feeling Mortal CD. Yeah. And I was like, he signed, and he, he, he signed it. And then it was straight in the tour and he only met me and one guy. Yeah. I felt so fucking blessed. And then it was like, I listened to that album, which is one of my favorite Christopherson records. And then I saw him at the Glastonbury Festival. Do you know like when it was like the BBC like recorded it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like Margaret Price was playing with him and stuff. Yeah. And I think that was probably the same deal as Black Deer because it was absolutely heartbreaking to see. Yeah. He just didn't like, have an igloo what was, was going on. Out and you could see it was, it was just like someone would shout, Bobby McGee, and he'd go like straight into... Yeah. Because um, I remember Margaret Price walked out and he was like, I don't know what's going on, Margot. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. Who's letting this guy out anymore? But then on the last tour he did before he retired, which must have been 20... 19 he was back to a point it was like he had Mel Haggard's band backing him yeah and he was conscious which was yeah. really weird because it was like Lyme disease that fucked him up wasn't it I don't know to be honest well I think what I read was everyone thought it was Alzheimer's yeah that's but, what I'd have guessed it was but he apparently it was misdiagnosed because while he was filming somewhere he got Lyme disease and because of his age and things he got misdiagnosed with Alzheimer's and left to just Sort of wreak havoc on him and then it was only when it was basically too late that they managed to treat him for it so it, fu it fucking sucks man and like Christopherson is my favourite ever songwriter I absolutely adore his stuff and it sucked to see him like that and I'm gutted that I never got to see John Prine like yeah. play in Manchester like for that yeah, I've tried to see Neil Young a few times now but every time he seems to cancel still because <laughs> yeah. someone breaks an arm or something and it'd be nice to see him because although he may not sound his best these days he's still very much Neil Young yeah that's the thing and that's when I because when Christophson announced his last tour I was like the glass I was like I just like had the glass and brief performance in my head I was like I don't want to see an old man succumb into dementia on stage no but then a bigger part of me was like but it's still Christopherson. Yeah, it's still like a massive tick on that bucket list. <laughs> yeah. So I went and I was pleasantly surprised by how like cognizant and how good he was. But yeah, man, that kind of... It was amazing. Even when he was clearly not well, he sounded phenomenal. And mm. you could tell it was it was live. It, there, yeah. were, there was no smoke and mirrors there. But it, 
he's been doing it so long. I think yeah. he doesn't really have to be conscious for it. No, but that's what I always liked about Christopherson and Prime was like they aren't singers in the sense of like no, operatic or like trained or technically good singers. Well, and goes, like even to more modern artists like Beans on Toast. Mm. Like I love Beans on Toast because his songs are so simple but ring so true. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed the podcast you did with him, actually. Thank you. Um, and I've I've met him a few times. Um, he's played in Chester a few times, which mm. isn't too far from where I live. And I don't think he really enjoys Chester because it gets very rowdy in there. <laughs> um, but he's always been really sweet when you meet him. And then, like, his songs, they're just so simple. Mm. It's like uh, watching the world go by. That song is just... It's a, such a simple, beautiful song, very simple chord structure, very simple melody. But it is just about my life, his life, mm. your life, and that exact sort of shared experience that every single one of us has. So not a single person can listen to that and not relate mm. to it. Yeah, I think like his voice is what I was trying to say about like Christophson and Prime's. Their voice aged with them. And it just, like, gave this songs, like, another, like, gravitas to it. And I, it's interesting to see what will happen with Beans because his voice is just going to deepen with age and, like, get world-weary and his songs are going to, like... The bizarre thing have with Beans is his, his voice has got smoother over time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be because he's, he's not on the old cocaine anymore, but... Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, particularly on his newest album, Knee Deep in Nostalgia there's some songs and that really goes for his singing mm. and like it works so well for him and it's it's nice to hear him I don't know if it's he's just become more and more comfortable singing so he's he's not just that drunken idiot stood yeah. on a chair in a pub anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah man I remember the first not the first I first saw him when he opened for Flog and Molly and um, he was yes. walking through the crowd selling CDs and I bought a CD off of me like yeah he had like did he have like, like a little Sort of granny trolley full of CDs and yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. I saw him the first time I saw him. I think he was opening for Frank Turner in mm. the the Manchester Arena, and the bill was Beans on Toast, then Flogging Molly, then Frank Turner. Uh. So it was a great night, and I just remember it was sold out, and everyone got there really, and I was lucky enough to be pretty much front row I was you know when you're sort of half in the front mm. row half not and he played the the chicken song yeah I love that song and then there was like 14,000 people doing a chicken impression and the security <laughs> guard stood in front of me just looking bewildered like how am I dealing with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah man like that was like the same thing he's got such like an approachable relatable thing and I know he always comes up to Liverpool to play the Smithdown Festival yeah so, yeah, and... I, yeah I was a uh, I was like I didn't have much on that day so I was like fuck it I'll go down and see Beans and he was doing one gig where that was just like this tiny little pop up stage that was literally just on a grass knoll next yeah. to this like uh, the greenhouse in Sefton Park and he was playing like another pub later that night so I was like I'll go to the park one first and I took a book with me and I was just sat kind of next to the stage someone had left a chair there so I was like I'm going to sit here I'm just going to read this book and he came up to me and thought I was the sound guy so he was like are you running this and I was like nah man I'm just here to see you and he was like, oh, I was like, but do you need a hand with these sound? And he went, yeah, please. So I like started setting everything up and I was like, are you sitting or standing? And he was like, are you sure you want the fucking sound guy? And I was like, honestly, man, I'm not. I did that and watched this gig. And then I was like, all right, I'll see you at craft later. And I was sat in the pub, just like reading me book again. And all I heard was, are you still fucking reading? <laughs> and he came home, we just fucking hang, hung out. So he's such a fucking nice guy. He is. And um, Bobby Banjo, his banjo player, is yeah. also such a <laughs> lovely bloke. Um but yeah that goes back to that community thing mm. in our genre where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are if you you sort of identify someone not even necessarily as an artist but like a a fan yeah just someone who gives a shit I always kind of just like that's my yeah like, benchmark I've been sort of all around the UK and sort of seen people wearing like a Chuck Reagan t-shirt or something and be mm. like cool Chuck Reagan and you have a little chat with them yeah where you see some girl wearing a Metallica t-shirt now you can't go oh cool Metallica because they go what yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like you, we have still got such a a niche market but a, a lovely market 
Yeah, man, it's and it's growing, which is nice. And it's nights like this, like I wasn't sure with it being a charity gig, with it kind of being in Eccles, so it's not really not. situated or like local to anything. I was interested to see how many people would actually come out. And it's been a really good night, man. It's been really interesting. It's been a nice turnout, and the crowd's really receptive, which is nice. Yeah. They listen, which is good. Yeah, that's always a bonus. And Tanya, bless her with her reserve, the right to tell you to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've seen that happen to tell anyone. No. Um, I think that, because there was one dude talking before she said that, and then I think she basically was just staring at him while she was saying <laughs> it, and then he hasn't <laughs> spoken since. Yeah, so... It's been great, and like everyone here, I think pretty much everyone in the room has been like, oh, I really enjoyed your set, mm. man. Where I've played plenty of shows all over, where I've had like a handful of people going, oh, great set, man, and yeah. other people just trying to avoid eye contact. Um, as I stand at the merch gun, please buy something. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I've sold a few t-shirts and some CDs, which are always nice. nice. Um, and then I'm really looking forward to the Fargo set. Yeah. I've only ever seen them as a Q-stick, not full band. I played with them in a brewery in Slandidnell. Oh, cool. Um, with the Goat Rope Rodeo Band again. Um, going back quite some time. I think I may have had short hair at the time. <laughs> for any of you long-term people that know me, I had short hair. And then for five years, I had long hair. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got short hair again. Um, so it, it must have been yeah. about five years ago that I was there with them. And, uh, like, I haven't seen them probably in three years, but I walked in today and I'm like, dude, how you doing? Yeah, they are such a nice bunch of dudes. Like, um, but we're coming up to the hour mark, and obviously we've got shit to do. We can't be, like, ignoring everyone for too long. But no, get back EP's out fun. now. What's the kind of plan going forward with touring and things? Uh, play as many shows as I can mm. over the next... I don't think I'll do much before Christmas, to be honest. Um, just because there's so much risk of cancellation yeah. at the moment. Um, so I'm sort of looking at booking spring onwards. Mm. Um, I've got a few things sort of in the pipeline, but nothing's set in stone yet, so I can't announce it. And then really sort of trying to hit hard with sort of getting out and playing as much as I can and then using the winter to try and write as much as yeah. I can. Sit on that stuff for a while. I'd like to make a, a full-length record sort of maybe tail end of next year mm. to release the year after but then go into what we were talking about together before the recording it's do you release a full-length record now or just release a, a few eps yeah um with the way everything's got a battle an algorithm now mm. that's the thing man i think for me i'm gonna release albums on Bandcamp and physically because I think it still deserves that format. Yeah, and but, you spend so long yeah. sort of creating something that you feel flows together, um, which is always really nice when you sort of step back, listen to it, and you go, I've made something that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then you spend so long putting that in a specific order, and then it shoots off to Spotify and someone clicks shuffle. <laughs> yeah, that's the fucking annoying thing, man. I hate people who shuffle albums. But I think I'm going to release everything as an album the fit like the first release date will be Bandcamp and maybe iTunes because people who have iTunes yeah, tend to buy the full still. albums. And then Spotify, if it's like a nine track album, I'm gonna release a track a month. And yeah. just like submit See, to like the editor playlist. I've, and I've toyed with the idea of a, I played two new songs tonight. Um of releasing a single maybe sort of spring just as sort of Yeah. I sort of start hitting the shows again. And then I've got a song from my first full-length Might Find Broken Free called Light a Spark, which is the song I am single-handedly most proud of writing. Mm. Um, and that album didn't get to that many years, so I'm thinking of releasing that as a single with two B-sides to it um, of these new songs, and then the two new songs can still go on an album. And then I've just got that little bit more to sort of spark interest online before the shows yeah so it's not oh you've got an ep that came out nine months ago yeah it's you've got an ep that came out nine months ago a handful of new songs and then sort of tour that as much as i can and just enjoy the ride that's that's the thing man and you've got a converted camper as well haven't you so do you tour out of that i'm hoping to i haven't had the chance to yet yeah. have you got a bed in it and stuff yeah oh, so awesome. i've nearly finished the conversion 
it's dead basic but it's it's my little baby yeah call it martha <laughs> and uh yeah the idea was convert it so i can tour in it and then i'm also into rock climbing and paddle boarding mm. so i've got like an adventure wagon nice that's the thing man like this has been absolutely invaluable to touring because you don't have to pay for hotels and shit. yeah like, you can just close the blinds go to sleep doesn't yeah. really matter where you are yeah because the first tour i went on with a finnish band it was the biggest chunk of money just went on hotels well that's it like i've not been able to afford to really tour properly yeah um i've been lucky to jump in the van with the goat rubbers a few times but i have like i've seen things sort of come up and if I try harder, I could have probably got a couple more tours, but it would have been financially yeah. sort of not reasonable for me to do that. Mm. Yeah, man. Well, the EP, like, I shit you not. Like, obviously, I wouldn't have you in here if I didn't respect you, and I really appreciate music. I really enjoy what you're doing, and I'm hyped to see what you do next, man. Senorias and Sangrias was a phenomenal EP. Thank you and you much. just killed it live then i'm looking forward i'm gonna to have to bring you up to the world for a show as well yeah man. i don't know we'll That'd just push great. you as much as we can but yeah let's call it there yeah and we'll go enjoy the rest thank of the you so presents. much for having me and for always being incredibly supportive through road country or just through telling me that i'm great because my ego <laughs> needs a boost every once in a while every now and then but yeah man let's do it and that was episode 40 of Into the Van, Into the Bag with the mighty Brandon Ridley. His EP, Senorita and Sangrias, is out right now. I urge you to go listen to it. Go give him a follow on Facebook. Go support his music. He is going to be coming back. I'm definitely putting a show on with him. I believe in January. I can't announce anything yet, but it is going to be fucking incredible. Trust me, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you're a fan of country and roots music, if you're a fan of American country and roots music i'm going to be announcing this local show in birkenhead that's going to blow your fucking socks off until then stay safe keep supporting the things you love keep listening to the music you love please recommend this podcast to a friend and in the meantime guys stay safe peace